Welcome back to another Dr. Supercoach podcast. You're on this week with JB and Pistol. How are you, mate? I'm doing really well, JB. I thought I was going to get a night off, though, um, but unfortunately, I'm a late in again. Uh, so, sorry, community. <laughs> I don't think you need to apologize for that. <laughs> um, so, we will kick off this podcast uh, by shouting out our new patrons. Uh, and we'll start with Adam Weston. Thank you very much for your pledge. Ben Von Stank. Hope I pronounced that properly. Otherwise, very offensive. Michael Gunner, Shane Dean, Darren Gaspari, and Shane G. So, a couple of Shanes in there, Pistol. We we do love our Shanes at Dr. Supercoach. So, appreciate everyone for their pledge and jumping onto the Patreon. The Slack has been going crazy in the past few hours, actually. We're getting... I think someone someone missed out on a couple of hours of chit chat and had to scroll up 250 comments. So uh, it's I didn't expect it to go this crazy this early because it's not even JLT yet. But there's a lot of chit chat pistol. No, it's going really well, um, and there's heaps of uh, yeah knowledge being shared. It's been absolutely awesome, um, and we have a couple um, more slots open for a couple more Shanes as well. So uh, if you're you're listening, Shane, make sure you you, you sign up. <laughs> That's a very personal request. I love it. <laughs> okay, so we're going to jump into the mid-prices uh, that we didn't catch up on last podcast, and that is the rucks and the forwards. So we'll kick off straight away with the most expensive of the mid-price rucks that we're going to look at, and that is Shane Mumford. So uh, average, obviously nothing last year with that uh, year off, but a career average of 103.8 at GWS has a lot of people considering Mumford, although he is missing the first round I think or is it is it two rounds two rounds come on two rounds. okay yes. so what what's your tactic with Mumford if we're considering starting him and should we even be considering starting him considering that that early uh omission from the season well how about we just go through the pros and cons of starting Mumford rather than that saying what we think is a right and wrong call because there's yeah there's massive pros I think and massive cons so we'll just lay them out on the table and you guys can make up your mind um, I think I don't know why that is a funny. podcast. Yes, well done. <laughs> so I think the the pros is obviously that scoring potential. In the last four years, he's had a, a low of ninety eight. So that's insanely ridiculous for a ruckman. Um, I think he's always had kind of these injury issues as well. So now he's thirty three years old. He has had injury issues in the past. He's missing first two rounds. I think that's probably becomes one of these these negatives. Um, another possibly negative, the change in ruck rule. I'm not sure out of all the ruckmen it benefits him the most, although it is probably a positive in that it can't really be a negative for him, but it's just not as beneficial as it could be uh, compared to some other ruckmen. Um, JB, <laughs> help me out here. What, what are the other pros and cons? I mean, another con is obviously his age and, and known durability, uh, which isn't great. Did you just repeat the one con that I said? Oh, sorry. I, was I supposed to? Be, well, was I supposed to be listening to you when you were? Oh, okay. Um, yes. Well, I'm, I've repeated that one. Okay, that's good. I'm glad you came up with that yourself. <laughs> okay, there there are more cons though. Um, <laughs> I, I hope I hope you didn't say missing the first two rounds because that that's a con. <laughs> did you not? Li- did you mute me? No, 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 no! I did, it. I did it. Okay, I did, I did. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's not so obvious cons with Mumford. Obviously, he could be, he could be a very good pick, and you can't really go against his scoring record thus far. But there are a lot of ruckman priced around his price, so that kind of works into a pro uh, with a, a con with Mumford. 
because you can you can save 60 70 uh, even up to 100k on similar ruckman that that will play a lot of games as well and you won't be risking it with the age factor and um the year out of the game obviously we don't know how great his conditioning is uh we obviously hear that he's training well but we hear that about every player in the league so uh, and that, those first two games, not to be understated, if you were starting a third Ruckman, uh, like a rookie Ruckman, say the Geelong lad get to go early days, you, you will be missing out on points in the competition there. So is Mumford really going to make up those lost points? That, that could be you know, 40 to 50 points for those first two weeks that you're missing out on. Is, he, is Mumford going to make up those points before you want to trade him up to a, a, be, a bigger and better Ruckman? So I suppose there's a lot to consider about Mumford, not necessarily cons with his own ability, because we know what he can do, but other cons around the game that are, are more technical. So if you're playing for league, where the league games don't happen for the first two weeks, would you be comfortable starting him? Yeah, de- I mean, league-wise, league, league wise, yeah. If you had the, the money sitting there, you had you know, a three, 350k and you didn't want to go down to one of these other Ruckman that we're going to speak about, then yeah, I'd, I'd be very comfortable starting him, for sure. I mean, it's a tough one, because as you said, if, if Darcy Fort is going to get a gig in round one, it's only two weeks. I know you said, are you going to make up the points? I mean, as much as uh, Grundy will probably dominate uh, Fort in round one, it's not like, you know, a number one ruck generally scores like 30. Like, you're not going to get like a terrible score. You might get, you know, 50 or 60, if you're lucky, 70. But that's not the end of the world, especially when it's only two weeks before Mumford comes in and probably goes 90 plus for the rest of the year. So um, I can definitely see why people would start him but then I just think if you're going to spend 320k on him like it's just so it it really depends on which other players are available like it's not about Mumford it's just about is Fort going to play is Zach Clark going to play like are you going to be able to get cheap enough cover for two weeks that it makes it worthwhile like some people are suggesting starting like a longer or a Naismith as well as Mumford um what do you think about that tactic or is it too much on the bench JB? Yeah, so I was going to ask you sort of at the end um, if we would consider starting three of these guys and, and getting sort of a rotation thing going. Obviously, I mean, you and I firmly believe Grundy's one of the biggest locks of the season. But if you could sort of work on that value and, and get three guys that were just going to rotate in and out for you, have one expensive guy on the bench, and then the other two guys, uh, like, you know, pick the better match up and, and see if you can sort of stick with the points but spend big elsewhere and and sort of catch the value of Gorn and Grundy if they do head down while these guys head up. Is that a viable tactic, starting with three? Because there are a lot of, like we look at these, and there are a lot of not only mid-price Ruckman, but potentially cheap, cheap Ruckman like uh, Clark that might actually start a few games. It's a viable option. It's a ballsy option. Um, I don't think I would do it personally. I know I, I mentioned it on the December podcast that you could, potentially have a, a Mumford, Long and Naismith just because the value there um, is absolutely insane. But at the end of the day, I think everyone's going to want Grunty. Just that VC um, option all throughout the year is too much to, I guess, pass on. It's, it's definitely an option. I just don't think it's the best option, JB. Um, but talking about the other cheap Ruckman, um, Billy Longer at 260k, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, so I mean, we're going off the, the basis that he's going to be playing games early. That's why they recruited him uh, down at West Coast, obviously, they're without Nick Natanui. <laughs> what? Hey. Billy, Billy Longer at, at Saints, not Tom oh, Hickey. Lord. They didn't even... Okay, yep. Yeah. Sorry, 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 sorry. I thought we jumped ahead there. 
Okay, so longer at Saints. <laughs> I mean, they don't they don't have any other ruckman, so he he will obviously play. Seventy eight point one average in two thousand seventeen. So we know what he he can accomplish if he gets around an eighty eighty five average this year. Then uh, he'll be making a good amount of coin. But he averaged fifty three point four last year, so he's not exactly you know someone that that's going to come in and light the world on fire. You, you, there's quite a lot of risk with Billy Longer. And, uh, I mean, personally, I prefer to go a little bit cheaper, which we'll, we'll speak about next. But I think you, you have a stat about Longer um, as to why we should consider him from his 2017 season. Well, yeah, I think a, a pro is there is scoring potential for Longer. He does have, um, at the end of the 2017 season, a seven-game average of 99. So he can hit those high marks. Um, I guess a negative um, that wasn't mentioned was Lewis Pierce is quite a capable Saints Ruck and, you know, Longer might have a bit of a battle on his hands to, you know, stay as a number one Ruck throughout the season, but really you only need to get probably until the bye with Longer, and if he can put up some decent scores, you know, you're going to be making coin quite quickly, and as we've said plenty of times, if you are the number one Ruck, sole, sole number one Ruck especially, um, you're going to score well, like even, you know, I know it said that he had a 53 average, but I think uh, especially with these Ruck rule changes, they can grab it out of the Ruck, I think they're just going to score well. So I feel like it's less of a risk picking somebody like Longer um, than in previous years um, because of those those changes. Um, but at the same time, there's less risk as well just because of the plethora of options around that actual price. So um, as you mentioned, uh, Naismith at 251k, how do you see him going this year? Uh, before Naismith, uh, just, just to mention, St Kilda finished 11th in that 2017 season. Uh, 11 wins, 11 losses. I, I saw. I have them a little bit pegged further down the ladder this season, coming around the 15th or 16th mark, unfortunately, uh, for St Kilda fans. But uh, that, that could be the difference between five or six wins that they now go down. If that is the case, uh, that, that could have a significantly bad effect on Longer. So it's not quite the same circumstances when he averaged those 99 points. But at the same time, like you said, it could be a very viable option. And then Naismith, uh, again, as you said, uh, likely starting Ruck for Sydney. Career average, I mean, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate. I know how you feel about Naismith already, and I'll throw it to you in a second. But career average of 55.5, no more than 13 games played in a single season, coming off a zero-game season in 2018 uh, after an ACL injury, uh, if I'm correct there. That's Then none of those are good signs for Ruckman, and... We saw how Nick Nadanui was coming off an ACL. Uh, he did do well in the first uh, however many rounds. The good thing about Naismith over Nadanui is the fact that we're going in with Naismith expecting to trade him down the line. Nadanui was more of a premium option, but still, it, that injury could, you know, any sort of injury could flare up again at any point during the season. And if you've got a history of injuries as a big man, it's generally uh, not a history that sort of goes away. It generally stays with you, especially being a taller bloke, Naismith. So there are a lot of negatives with Naismith. Now you can talk us through some of the positives. <laughs> I think the first thing is you have to be realistic. I mean, at the end of the day, he costs 250k. So what score do you want? Like what output are you looking at from Sam Naismith? If you're you know, going to be upset at a 70 average then you're probably going to want to start a primo at R2 because that's decent enough, I think. But I think he's got potential to go much more than that. Um, even, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what his ceiling is. I'm not really willing to put a number at, at it, but um, I'll say at least 80. 
um, is is a ceiling for Naismith. And and with these changes as well, being an athletic ruckman, even coming back from um, an ACL, he still is an athletic ruck. Um, and as you said, starting ruckman for Sydney, it's not a bad team uh, to be hitting the balls down to that midfield. There's just a lot of positives. I mean, yes, he only averaged you know 66 in his last year, but 66 average and is probably only going to get better um, at 250k is not bad. Uh, you know, he he averaged 27 hit outs that number. I don't know if it's going to go up or not because I have no idea what's going on with all these rule changes and how that will affect things. Um, but there are a lot of positives. Um, for the Naismith pick, and if it doesn't work out, you've got longer there as well. So I'm probably not trying to oversell it because I know in the previous podcasts I've definitely gone the other way, and that Naismith saying Naismith is like a genuinely good player because I believe that to be true. And you know they did hold on to him over over Nank, so um, there has to be some sort of you know internal value uh, or internal rating him quite highly um, as well on top of that. So I think it, I think there's enough there that it's a worthwhile selection, but you know, at the end of the day, he's missed a season, um, and he didn't score. You know, he didn't set the world on fire in the previous year. So you, you just kind of have to weigh it up for yourself and see whether the risk is worth taking. Yeah, and he's obviously priced accordingly uh, with all those risks. So two hundred and fifty k, like you said, you, you really have to get your expectations right with how he, how what you expect from him from the season and, and what he might actually accomplish. Now, uh, a player that you've put on the list here, so I'm, I'm taking absolutely no credit for it whatsoever, is Keegan Brooksby. In at 202k, he does have the potential to get selected early, but uh, you might have a bit more positives and negatives to go through with Brooksby because I really don't know a whole lot about him besides the fact that he couldn't hold on to his Gold Coast gig. So what, what's going on with Brooksby? <laughs> um, I think he was just a guy that was kind of a bit lost. They played him out of position at the Gold Coast. Um, I believe he was a ruckman, and they were playing him um, just kind of not fairly, um, you know, down back and throwing him all about, and he didn't really get a good run at it. Um, I'm not sure if he even will get a good run of it at West Coast, but he's cheap. You know, he's 200k. We'll see what happens with the lineup in round one. You do expect them to go Hickey and Vardy, but if they do want another tall, um, you could look at Brooksby, but I'm not really... I put him on the list just because I know a lot of people have got him um, in their teams at the moment. And if he does play, he you know the potential for any of these guys if they do play, they're going to be good um, cash cows just because you know the the ruck position is one that does score a lot of points. So um, yeah, it for me it's it's a it's a no. But if you see him in round one and you want to make a bit of coin, there's the options there. But is he going to be a better option than you know? Um, Clark, if he plays round one, definitely not. Or Fort, if he plays round one, also not. So, um, yeah, just just there to, to talk about, but not. There's not really, you know, anyone I think that's probably going to go through with picking him in round one. Yeah, and either my uh, Supercoach gold is broken, or this zero percent of teams must have been all the selections that you saw him in that major talk about him. So, <laughs> um, it sounds like you yourself have him locked in, and that's why he's on the list. But I, I you know, we'll, we'll just skip over that. Uh, so that pretty much sums up our rocks. Um, if you could, who do you think? I mean, there's a couple of questions I want to ask because there there could be a completely different answer for who you think will score the most and who you think will potentially average the most. But who's your, your best bet for a Ruckman going into this next season if you're going to start any of these mid-priced Rucks just solely for making money and, and sort of being respectable in the points category at the same time? I don't know if... 
so much will depend on the JLT. I know it's a cop-out answer. I feel like if Very. Naismith is raring to go, um, it could be him. If he's not quite there, because I know he's, he's pushing for it, if he's not quite there, then longer. But I think it's going to be one of those two. And I don't really mind which one I have as long as I have enough money to flip to the other one if I've got things completely horribly wrong. Um, yep. Then there's a bit of a safety net there. So... Yeah, at least for the JLT, if you put Longer in your side, you can easily trade him to Naismith, but it's a bit harder to do the other way around if you don't have that that cash in the bank. Yep, and uh, that's obviously why we we spoke about those sort of uh, analytical negatives with Mumford, because he is 60 and 70k more than these other two, and does sort of offer a similar type uh, potential output, even though he's got the career average on his side. He is a year out of the game as well, and, and a slow Ruckman coming into a what they're hoping to be a very fast-paced game. So um, I think I think they're all decent options in their own right, besides Brooksby. But um, yeah, like you said, JLT will have to rule a few in or out there for, for us to really nail down any. So we'll move on to the forwards now. And I've got a decently long list here. We'll start with the most expensive, and that is Tom Lynch of Richmond. Now, the obvious draw to Tom Lynch is the fact that he's coming from a team in which he could average 93.1 in their forward line, being in 2016, from a full 22-game season. Uh, and, and they were the, the easily the worst team in, in the comp for the last few years. He's shown that he can average 90-plus as a tall forward, and he's moved to now the probably or easily one of the top two teams in the AFL. Is he going to get more supply, more demand, kick more goals? Can he average that 90-plus? <laughs> you know, it, it, with this 6-6-6 rule, a tall forward is probably going to be helped out by that. He's agile. He can push in the back now and no one cares with all these new rule changes. Is is Lynch highly on your radar? At this price, you would be selecting him uh, so, sort of as a keeper option. I think my favorite um, <laughs> question that you just threw back was like, Will he get more opportunities in the Richmond forward line than the Gold Coast forward line? <laughs> like, I'd say so, JV. It's a little rhetorical, but it's a no. That's an astute observation, really. Um, I believe he will get more opportunities in in the Richmond forward line than the Gold Coast. Um, but yeah, you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. The ball's going to be down there more often. The six 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 is definitely like he's. The person, him and Rewalt, they're the ones that are going to benefit from this rule change the most um, in terms of in the Richmond forward line. And, you know, they're the type of player, the archetype, the, um, you know, the prototype of the type of player that's going to benefit the most from these quick center clearances that maybe a Ruckman kicks or someone kicks before people have been able to flood back. You know, it's a great contested mark. Um, I think my concern with Lynch is that they keep saying he's like in a race to be fit for round one. And if he's in a race to be fit for round one, that just means he hasn't had like, you know, a fully proper, obviously, um, injury-free risk and injury-free preseason, um, and that just makes me a little bit hesitant, knowing that he just missed with injury and then he's kind of in a race to be pushed back. And it doesn't it doesn't really fill me with confidence. But I do think that he's going to have a good year. I think at his worst in the last five years, he's averaged seventy-eight, and that's in the Gold Coast forward line. Like how much worse can you go on a Richmond forward line? Like, you can't. Like, surely you can't. Um, in which case, he's bound to have at least mid-80s. And who even knows what his ceiling is? We definitely haven't even seen his potential ceiling. Um, so I think he'll go all right, but I'm not sure at that price if it's worthwhile um, starting. 
at, at 425k. It might be worthwhile just like waiting it out for the first couple of weeks, seeing if he's managing to hit, you know, three figures um, consistently before jumping on. And and that word that you said at the end there, consistently, that is a bit of a worry for me because you look at all these high averages and he usually has a score of 160 plus every season. So if he's getting scores of that, you know, and then averages of 90, that means he's having a few stinkers in there as well. So he does concern me a little bit with consistency, but I mean, like you said, Richmond forward line now, it's going to be a whole new ball game for Lynchy. So hopefully he can string it together. Uh, not not really someone that I'm looking too hard at, as you said, with the, the injury issues. So we'll move over to Dow House now, uh, 418k to start this season, just an average of 77 for the, the last season for the Bulldogs. But between the years of 2014 and 2017, averaged 95.4. Was pretty much in everyone's forward line in each of those years. You, you started him or you, you upgraded to him as soon as you could. What's going on with Dow House? What's with the, the massive average drop-off? And you know, will he be back to his best at Geelong or are we passing up on him? I think the biggest issue... Uh, for Dalhouse is his kick-to-handball ratio has been um, going in the opposite direction for Supercoach purposes. It's, it's heading towards a 1-2 to ratio in terms of um, kick-to-handball, which is not what you want to see. Um, his kicks per game is nearly halved since he averaged 103 points per game. So he's not really using the ball by foot as much, and that's obviously having a large impact on his scoring. In terms of opportunities um, in the Geelong forward line. JB, I'd say he's going to get more opportunities in the forward line of Geelong than the forward line of Bulldogs. Um, I'm hanging up now. <laughs> but um, I, I'm not sure if... He, he definitely was getting midfield time at the Bulldogs, and I don't know if that's how Geelong plan on utilising him. Obviously, they have a lot more weapons at their disposal uh, down at the Cattery than they do at the Bulldogs. So if he's going to be playing kind of a small forward permanent role, which I think is what's been flagged for him, then he's somebody that I'm going to be staying away from. There was the news that Ablett would be played a lot more forward and uh, there was uh, Selwood. Selwood would be uh, out of those centre bounces as well a lot more this season. But I feel like that's more for the sake of Duncan and Menegola and, and Dangerfield, obviously. So I tend to agree. Dowhouse probably, I think he's one to definitely look out for. And he, I, if he goes late in draft leagues, then someone that I'd look at in that instance as well. Yep. But not someone that I'm willing to start with. So uh, we'll move over to the next forward, which is Josh J. Ken- oh, no, I'm skipping one. Neil Bullen, 402k. Ooh. And you have done extensive research into Neil Bullen. So I'll let you take this one. <laughs> Have I? All right. Extensive. Yep. Yep. I've, I've definitely looked at this beforehand. You've got um, a spreadsheet just for Neil Bullen. Yep. So what did you say? He averaged 74 in the last <laughs> Neil, two years. Yeah. Um, Neil, Neil Bullen 74 last two years. All right. So Neil Bullen in the last two years, average is 74. Um, the interesting <laughs> thing with him is that he his, his consistency issues... Uh, I was going to say, his consistent issues are an issue. Um, he has a lot of decent games and then a lot of absolute stinkers. So if I'm just flicking through his scores of the season, um, he has games like 49 and then jumps to 90, 91, 91, a 38, a 41, 58, so absolute stinkers, then to a 96, 110, 106, 93. Like these are fantastic. Before jumping all the way to a 47, 55, 51, Back, then back into the 90s. So 
you, you kind of see why he averages in the 70s, um, probably because every time he gets a 90, he then gets a 50. So I think if you want to select Neil Bullen, you're really hoping that that floor um, rises because the ceiling's there to be a good enough um, selection. It's just those low games, they're, they're real stinkers. They're really bad. So if he can manage to nut that out and be able to um, achieve, you know, a floor of about 70, you're suddenly going to get, you know, a large improvement from him. I'm not sure I'd be paying 400k for him um, this season, but or even next season, but, you know, (laughs) at least you can watch him and see how he's going to uh, perform throughout the year with that floor and seeing if he's getting a little bit better. And um, I appreciate you throwing me under the bus with that one, JB. Um, What are your thoughts on him? I'm sure you've you've done an equal amount of research. No, you, you summed that up perfectly. So <laughs> we'll move over to Josh J. Kennedy and uh, priced at 397k this season. Averaged 73.3 just last season with those injuries. Uh, however, he was able to average 95.5 in the previous two seasons combined. So he has a very obviously high season coming off of Coleman Medal and Coleman Medal. Can he get back to his best? Are the injuries gone? Because it's not a sake. It's not a matter of can he score high. It's will he have the ability and the freedom to score high. Well, can I ask you why you don't think he can get back to his best? I mean, I'm I'm not overly skeptical, but I, I just feel like with last year there were there were times in which he was perfectly fit and he, he wasn't able to he just seemed a step behind like he'd lost something in all his injuries uh, I'm sure he'll still be a dominant forward and, and kick a bag of goals multiple times this season but in terms of the averaging 95.5 which is a good game you know every single game that is you know third fourth best on every single game with the growth of Darling as well and you know, a few recruits that they brought in I just don't think he's got the ability to average that 95.5 which is what you'd want buying in at that price so for me yeah it's a matter of maybe he's lost the step and everyone around him has gotten better at West Coast but yeah it, it just didn't show enough last year to make me think that he could get back to his best this year I, I'm not really against him as a pick I think in the last five years he hasn't actually been that injury prone um, just last season was a bit of an outlier where he only played the 11 games but he was clearly never fit as well like he missed the beginning of the season um and that elbow injury, they kept saying he was going to need surgery, um, yada, yada, yada. And then he just didn't um, have it and he just looked poor and he was clearly playing with pain. And I never thought he recovered. I mean, obviously, he had a decent final series because he bloody pretty much won them. I don't even want to talk about him getting upset. Um, anyway, <laughs> so he he's the potential's been there for the last five years and I can't really see why it's just going to drop away because he had you know this one injury that apparently... By all reports, he's fine with now. So with this 666 change as well, um, it's definitely going to benefit him. West Coast are probably better than they've been during a lot of those times where he's had um, very high averages. So I'd be shocked if he came out and averaged another 75 next season. I think there's a lot of upside there. I don't know. Again, it's, it's hard to start somebody when they're priced at 400k and... You can pay for somebody that like 480 that you feel like way safer with. If he was 350, I think that would be enough to, um, you know, get me to jump on. But 
yeah, it's just a tiny bit too high for my liking. I might I might see how it goes and um, wait until he has a, a poor game or two and see if I can get some really good value with a, a trade-in during the season on him. Yeah, and I definitely don't think he'll average 75 for the season, but I have him more penciled in for like an 85, you know, top yeah. five on the pitch, you know, once every two or three games sort of thing. So, like, loophole I don't... Option. Like an emergency loophole option. Yeah, yeah, essentially. That that would be a uh, great result for him. So, yeah, don't have him falling off a cliff, but, yeah, it's he's just far too risky to start on my side. Now, uh, the Slack channel has been absolutely going off about this lad, and it's Warple for Hawthorne. I don't know if it's mostly due to the fact that Tom Mitchell got injured and, and we assume now that he'll be thrown into the midfield, whereas he might have been penciled in for a lot more forward time, or the fact that everyone's cluing on to Warple averaging 87.8 in the last six rounds of the year last year. But whatever factor it may be, he is very popular in this preseason, and I would love to get your thoughts on it, Pistol. Um. I have spoken about Warple before, but I'll, uh, I guess, reiterate. During that time period, those six rounds that you mentioned, he did average 23 disposals a game and was thrown more heavily into the midfield. Um, he was a first-year player, so you think that he'd be coming back after a fresh preseason, be bigger and stronger, um, and it would show. Um, if he could maintain you know, an 88 average for the year, I think that would probably be a win at his price. But is that really top six worthy? I don't think think it is I mean obviously the upside is more than that because you expect him to get better than you know that 87 average if you're picking him you, you certainly hope he's going to get better I'm just a bit concerned um, based on this final series where he was very poor like those those two games kind of um, yeah make make me think that it's not really a worthwhile selection but at the same time I would not be surprised if they just threw him um, it, round one, you see him on the ball in the first bounce, just getting soaking up all of that Titch uh, midfield time. And, you know, if he bangs out um, a couple of good scores, obviously contested football scores well, and, and that's what he's going to do in that Hawthorne side. So if he comes out with a couple of big scores in the first couple of weeks, then it's it's game on. It's for the whole year, you'd expect. So I, don't, I wouldn't see, like, a random drop-off um, for him if he's, you know, getting that Titch time, which we kind of expect, and if he's scoring well at the beginning... You know that's that's when um, you know that it's probably you've done well by selecting him. Yeah, and uh, to me, he 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 kind of he he looks like the type of player that I mean I'm not sure if you remember Dylan Shield from a couple of years ago, but um, not not in terms of the consistency, but the fact that he just score well, but not for his position. Like you, Dylan Shield come out and you'd score, you know, back to back a hundred and five and then you know 95 and then you know two two in the lower 90s and then 110 like he, he, you could never get rid of him because he wasn't doing anything that bad but it was really it was just a tiny bit off the pace of the top 10 and so you'd lose points every week by having him so Warpool to me just seems like he, he'd get that 85 to 90 average but you'd be losing points in the long run because although he's a point of difference I expect the the top six forwards to be averaging you know a little in excess of a hundred points per game. So it just to me it feels like you. I mean, if you back him in for a, a big breakout year, getting all that midfield time and averaging ninety five to one hundred, then by all means go for it. It's it's a gut feel at this point, but to me he sort of just I, I wouldn't be surprised if I looked at the end of the season he was averaging you know eighty nine like he did during that that period or ninety or ninety one, and he just wasn't worth starting sort of thing. So. They're, they're my basic thoughts. I could be very wrong, though. So. Yeah, we'll see in the JLT 
anyway. So yeah, we'll, Jail we'll TV will be a great indicator for him. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, I don't know if Toby Green's going to play in the JLT because uh, he's never fit, but a man who has averaged 90 plus for four out of his seven years in the league, so over 50% of the time that he's actually played in AFL, he's averaged 90 plus, which is great for a forward because 90 plus is right where we're talking about for, you know, it, up in that upper echelon of 90s when we start talking about the top six to eight forwards. Green coming in at 350k, averaging 72 last season with about a billion foot injuries. What do we think of him this season? Is he worth the risk considering how foot injuries linger and come up and flare up during the season and missed games here and there? And he was already a hothead missing games, but the average potential average is just out of this world for a a forward price at what he is. So what are your thoughts on Green? Well, it's a, it's a bit of a tough one. I feel like it's the same type of thing with Tom Lynch, where they keep saying he's going to be fit with like the uncertainty in their voice, that he will be fit for round one. And it's like, well, if he's not like guaranteed to be fit for round one, how, how much training and how you know ready is he for round one? Like how much of a preseason has he had? We're not really sure, and a foot injury, as you mentioned, is not one that you kind of want to play around with. You don't want to really rush someone back, or they're going to keep getting injured. So, <clears throat> for me, I, I like the idea of Toby Green at that price, but I also feel like he's not going to come out with an absolute bang, and I'm going to have to pay an extra 120k for him. I feel like if he's going well after five weeks, um, I'll still be able to upgrade to him for like 400k, and it won't be the end of the world. So, I think I might look to not start him, see how he's going with that, you know, fitness, how he's had, you know, limited preseason, seeing how long it takes for him to kind of build up towards scoring well and then pounce. Like, a, it's just very risky to start. And if you get a couple of crappy scores at the beginning of the year, you, you've got a guy that you kind of have to hold just because of that potential. Otherwise, it's a completely wasted trade. And, uh, yeah, I don't even know if there's going to be the... There's no, like, sideways option that you can really bounce him to or you'd have to just downgrade to a rookie and that will severely limit your um, scoring potential on your field yeah and uh, I'm, I'm one of two options on Toby Green I'm, I'm either all in I hear some great news in the preseason he's you know he started training the house down the foot injuries all gone away which I doubt would hear from Leon Cameron anyway even if it were true or I just don't touch him because foot injuries like we said they can come up up and down during the season He'll get rests, uh, especially towards the end of the season when we're looking at finals, he'll get rests. So it's just something that I'm either going to be confident with that he's going to play enough games to, to make it worthwhile or I, I just completely stay away sort of thing. So um, hopefully yeah, hopefully that's actually an easy decision coming into the season and he's not sort of sitting on the fence of being great and being poor. So that would be nice, Toby. Just let us know what you're doing, thanks. So we'll move on to the next lad, and that is Taylor Walker. Now, I'm not sure how you've snuck him into the list here, but did have an average of 99.6 in 2012. So the ceiling is there. Uh, just the average of 63 and a bit of a horror year for the Crows last year. Now, uh, potential growth due to the fact that I expect Crows to be a much better side this season after their their woes last season, but is is that sort of why we would consider Tex at 340k? Look, as you said, 340k, um, not, you know, he went 63 last year, but the four years before that, he had a low of 80. You know, he's, he's gone 86, 82, 83, 80. So there's at least some value to be had there. It's not like he... Um, 
it's a completely crazy pick. The Crows obviously had a very poor year, and they're going to bounce back. And if they're going to bounce back, it's probably going to be through their midfield and through their key forwards, who uh, didn't particularly set the world on fire last year. And, you know, Tex, I feel, is somebody that is kind of like a barometer for them. So if the Crows are going to be up and going, then Tex is going to be up and going. And, and he's good enough to have some big games as well, some good games. It's at least somebody that's a good option for a, a late pick in draft. Um, maybe not the best classic starter, but at the same time, I've, I've heard of stranger and worse picks, JB. Yeah, I wouldn't be completely shocked if he went back up to that 80-plus average. So I can I can definitely understand where you're coming from with the pick, and maybe I just don't like him. So we'll move <laughs> over to the next one, which is uh, Chera. Now, this one's more in uh, due to the fact that we've seen a lot of him either being spoken about in the Twitter sphere or actually seen him pop up in a few teams at 330k, uh, people are expecting a bit of a breakout year, uh, potentially more midfield time without, uh, obviously, the Blakely injury, Lockie Neal heading out as well. So um, I, I kind of understand where people are coming from, but just the four scores over 80 last season, uh, he did have a high score of 114, but that was his only ton for the entire season. Uh, being that he's a rookie, that's completely fine. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. But now, I, I mean, people are picking him to average 80-plus sort of thing at that at that price range. That's kind of what you're, you're angling for. And considering he's only scored above 80 for four times in his career, you know, is he going to do it for now 20 games and, and average it? It just feels like a bit of a stretch to me. It does. I mean, the second-year breakout besides Oliver isn't really a thing. That's why it's called the third-year breakout. I think it is a year too soon to select him. I know he's going to get you know, extra midfield rotations, you'd think, because of uh, Neil's departure. But even so, they recruited some midfielders. They've got people that are probably a little bit ahead of him in the in the pecking order. They drafted mature age midfielders in the draft. I'm just not really sure where that improvement's going to come from. Obviously, he's going to have natural improvement. But I can't really see him going 80-plus completely out of nowhere um, this season. And even if he does go 80, which would be a 20 points per game, you know, natural improvement, which would be awesome but it's not really good enough to get you anywhere, and particularly he's still, you know, 330k. So uh, for me, it's it's a pass. But I, yeah, I can't actually even see why people would select. I think it's a massive gamble, um, and, and I'll, yeah, it's. I guess I feel like it's the opposite of like high risk, high reward. I feel like it's a <laughs> high risk, still high average reward. reward. <laughs> like. Like, not great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one, one for the future. We'll talk about him on next year's podcast and, and see if we consider him then. Uh, the next man I don't have any news on. I know he averages has averaged okay in the past and he's full of potential, but can you speak us through the potential of Jamie Elliott for the season? Who knows, JB? I never know when he's going to be fit or not. He's had that many durability issues. It's really hard to select somebody when they get injured as often as uh, Jamie Elliott does, but... Not just that, when he was scoring really well in 2014, he was running up a bit higher on the wing and getting a, gathering a bit of the ball there as well. Um, and obviously he's lethal in the forward line, so he's going to score well there. This year, I can't imagine with our uh, midfield that he's going to be able to have the freedom to run up and you know collect some extra disposals. I feel like he'll be just told, stay in the forward 50, do your thing, you know, take those marks, kick those goals, put on the pressure, but don't really, you know... Um, you know, see you gallivanting down the wing. Um, I can't imagine he's going to be an amazing pick. He might put together um, 
big enough scores, you know, back-to-back games where he kicks a couple of bags to be able to make you that 100K and make it worthwhile. I can see that happening, but at the same time, is it a worthwhile punt? I'm not sure, but if you do take it, I don't think it is the worst pick in the world. I, I, I would be a little bit stressed having him on my side, though. Yeah, I mean, if you back him to actually play back-to-back games, to learn score highly in them, <laughs> then, you know, by all means, go for it. But the actual fact of the matter is he just doesn't play games and doesn't play enough in the season. And I hope he does because when he's up and about, he's one of the best forward talents in the actual league. And I don't really think that's an exaggeration just with his... You could just see his ability uh, yeah. when he when he plays the game. So I hope he does string together a season, but we just haven't seen it yet. And unfortunately, until we see that, we can't can't strongly consider him unless he's you know around 280k and you expect him to have a good year. So uh, the next player is Joe Danaher, coming from an absolute horror season. Uh, the games that he did play in, he was not good. Uh, he missed a lot of games on top of that, and I don't think he's too far away from his 86 average in 2017. Uh, there was an ask to the coach uh, not too long ago with Warsfield, who was really backing him in and saying, like, I think one of the questions was, do you think Danaher can get back to his 2017 form? Warsfield pretty much said, I'd be surprised if that was his best form that we saw from him, uh, you know, within the next 12 months. So he apparently looks good on the track and at 277k with a potential ceiling of, you know, around 95. I mean, that would be a big stretch, but if we haven't seen the best of Joe Danaher yet and he's average 86, then, you know, maybe it's not that bad. That is, that seems like a worthwhile punt, especially when you think, you know, you save 3k from Jamie injured every two seconds Elliot to, Joey Danaher, who could put out that sort of average, you know, it, it seems like it could be a worthwhile punt for the season. I'd love to know your thoughts. I, I like the Danaher pick, as you said. I mean, his best is unbelievable. Like, he looks like an absolute world beater. The 666 rule is also going to benefit him because if, if you're chasing Danaher and Danaher is running at the ball and marking it at its peak, I'd love to know who is stopping Danaher from marking that ball. Like, it's just not going to happen. Obviously, he's going to have trouble kicking the goal, but he's going to mark it, and they're going to be worth, you know, bulk points. So I feel like Danaher is a really good mid-price punt, but something that Wusher said kind of stuck with me a bit, that they they don't want to rush him back. Like, they want to make sure they get him right. And I'm not sure if that means get him right, as in he's going to play round one, and then they might give him a rest, and then he's played round three, and they're going to give him a rest, and it's going to be like that type of get it right. I'm just really not sure how he's going. If if he plays in the JLT and looks completely fine, he plays back-to-back matches, and then they're like, yep, he's fine for round one, then he'll most likely be in my starting side. I just need to know how he's going to perform in those matches and if they're planning on actually playing him every week and there's none of this rest stuff um, because that absolutely terrifies me. Like if he's over, if he's over his injury, he's probably in. If anything is lingering, any type type of kind of um, easing him into it, then he's probably out. And it's probably going to be as simple as that for me, JB. Yeah, and uh, when Wusher was getting the questions, he couldn't actually commit to Danaher even playing in round one. So he's obviously not at that peak fitness that they'd want him to be uh, to actually commit to it yet. So. You know, even if he goes into round one fifty-fifty, it's just something that I'd be- I'd rather avoid. Um, although, you know, if he plays a good first two couple of game or first couple of games, you know, from round two to round three, you know, just about to get that price range, maybe I've stuffed up somewhere else in my forward line. Like it's someone that I am not ruling out for the season, but 
yeah, it's it's hard to start with him if he's going in with, with an injury cloud. If not, though, yeah, like you said, he looks like a very tasty option for the season. So we'll jump into our last player now, and it is Darcy Moore, selectable in the forward line, obviously, but probably not playing in the forward line and has looked good in uh, match simulation, playing in defense, actually being cited, taking a few kickouts as well, Pistol. So thoughts on more? I, I mean, I'm, I'm throwing to you a lot because they're all you Collingwood boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, firstly, Selectal as a forward and a defender, so he does have that valuable DPP. I didn't even know that. Secondly, I feel like it's going to be a massive contradiction um, and ironic because Darcy Moore is probably the most injury player, injury prone player that we have spoken about today. Um, so it's interesting that you have to kind of separate what you know of Darcy Moore as Darcy Moore the forward and Darcy Moore the defender because Darcy Moore the forward is not a good super coach pick by any stretch of the imagination. We're talking sub-60 average Darcy Moore. But Darcy Moore as the defender is an entirely new beast. He has a very small sample size. Now, mind you, if you take out his injured games as a defender, you're pretty much left with no games. So I don't know if there's a correlation between him getting injured and when he's playing down back, but that seemed to happen a lot. Um, (laughs) But in the three-game sample size where he wasn't injured playing down back, he did average 80. Um, with a, it's not like he went, you know, unbelievably massive to bring that up. He he did have a low of 68, so he did pepper around the 80 mark. And if he is indeed going to be playing as a defender, and he is going to take the kickouts, and we already know that we think the kickouts are going to add, you know, between you know five and 15 points per player. If he's going to get that boost on top of what he can score as a defender naturally, at only 239k with the DPP, then I think it's an option that's at least worthwhile considering for a second until he gets injured in the JLT. <laughs> okay, so just a second and then we're off. <laughs> no, I, I think you, you can definitely select him. If he gets through the JLT, he puts out you know two, like an 85 and an 82 or something like that, then that's probably enough that you're like, uh, yeah... I can put him in my forward line if the rookies aren't really showing like they're having a lot of scoring potential. It might be a good you know stopgap measure to have on your field, um, and that you know DPP if you're you're flicking around with Burgess or or, or uh, what's Connor Rose Rose and how to pronounce it uh, from Port Adelaide they've got that DPP uh, swing as well. So you might want to you know utilize that. Um, but I think there's enough there that you can still um, ex- choose. Darcy more and it being socially acceptable but at the same time if he has any sort of injury for the rest of the preseason it's just straight out and never never come back yeah, you, you have to instantly rule him out uh, alright yeah I think that sums it up pretty well uh, and that sums us up pretty well Pistol unless you've got any last minute gems to throw in uh, no last minute gem except the gem that is the Council Council Victoria um, again <laughs> we will obviously still be raising money for the Council Council Victoria if you have enjoyed the podcast uh, we will pop up our um, link to donate to the Council Council at, in the uh, comments of this uh, section of this podcast um, we've We've currently raised uh, thirty, roughly thirty six hundred, um, since the beginning of last year. We would like to raise five k by the end of the season, cumulative, not an extra five k. Um, so you know, an, another thirteen hundred dollars or so this season would be an absolutely awesome effort for the cancer council. Um, again, we have our own 
Patreon. JB, did you want to uh, talk a little bit about that before we sign off? Yep. So up to 27 Patreons in there at the moment. Um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, just a huge thank you to anyone that even considers signing up. You can get that at www.patreon.com forward slash Dr. Supercoach. Uh, all the information's in there. Chizo's put together a brilliant page, so make sure you check it out. Uh, and that pretty much sums us up. You can find us on our Twitters at pistol underscore DRSC, at JB underscore DRSC, and at Chizo underscore DRSC. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Hopefully, Chizo's on the next podcast with myself. I'm, I'm kind of tired of podcasting with Pistol, to be honest. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, this you're telling me there's a the the late interchange and switch has kind of thrown me a little but hopefully uh we managed to get through this podcast all right um <laughs> but anyway thanks jb for joining me while i uh you know for sneakily coming on this podcast i appreciate it and your time and i look forward to uh speaking to you soon <laughs>